Welcome to the Wheel of Sports, brought to you by the Turnstile Network. Now, before we begin this episode, just want to give a little shout out to a new fandangled app. It's called Sports Where I Am, and it's an Australian company. It helps you go around the world, 240 different cities around the world. You use the app, and it'll tell you where all the sporting events are. And from the app, you can actually buy tickets to the game and get advice from locals such as where it's best to sit, the bars nearby to the stadium, tourist traps to avoid. You can also pay for your tickets in Australian dollars. That's right, real Australian dollars and get help from an Australian customer service team as well. All tickets are genuine and they're backed by a 100% money back guarantee. That's not including games that end nil-nil. Now, Here's where the nice little thing comes in. If you want 10% discount while you're using the app, then just put the code TURNSTYLE at the checkout. So sportswhereiam.com and use the code TURNSTYLE and you'll get 10% discount off your next game if you're in the USA, Canada or Europe. I think that's a cracking deal. And this is an app which is an absolute game changer. Now, talking about game changers, I think we need to get onto this new episode of The Wheel of Sport. Here we go. Welcome to The Wheel of Sport. I'm Ian McNally. I'm Justin Price. And we're going to be spinning the wheel of sport to take us on a little adventure. I'm pretty excited, I've got to be honest today. I'm a bit worried that you're excited. You sat yeah, no. very close to Can me. Have a go at it. Uh, you're going to have a go at the wheel? Can we dive straight in? Oh, come on, let's go. Yep. Was that all right? Did I spin that too hard now? I, right? think, I think it's way too hard, but I think uh, you did say you were excited, so... <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Here we go. Oh... Oh, against all odds. Against all odds. Sounds uh, like a Phil Collins song. <laughs> we don't mention that. We don't want to be paying okay. any more rights. No, not, not, not more than we're already paying. Um, against all odds, I'm going to take uh, take this one. I'm pretty excited about this one. It's, oh, it's going to be I'm, immense. I'm intrigued. <laughs> I would like to say that it was in my living memory. It w- I was alive when this event happened, but I definitely can't remember it. So I'm kind of remembering it retrospectively. You know, sometimes when you look at like an old photograph of like your third birthday party and you think, yeah, I remember that, but you don't. So what what year is this? This is 1985. So I would have been two years old when this happened. And this is one of the sporting moments that really changed sport. But I just think it's one of the most remarkable moments ever to have taken place, particularly in televised sport. It's the World Snooker Championship. To be fair, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter, really, uh, because I thought snooker and I fell asleep. <laughs> See, this is what I get frustrated with because you mentioned snooker, and one reaction I get from people is they say, snooker's not a sport. Now, let's have a look at what makes a sport. Well, frisbee's a sport. But what I'm saying <laughs> is, though... I, like you know, I'm thinking you're probably glad that you were two that you couldn't watch it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I'm one of the things I'm sad about is that as a two year old, 
I didn't have to get up for work in the morning, so I should have been allowed to stay up to watch it, but clearly I wouldn't have remembered it. But the thing that frustrates me about people look down the nose at snooker, right? They, they, well, they so think the, it's a game, not a sport. It's because the table's lower. <laughs> <laughs> No, but, but like the thing is about snooker, is it televised now, snooker? Of course it is. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where. Was I, it televised? I, I heard a stat that it was the uh, biggest indoor sport in China. Yeah, but come on. <laughs> the Chinese don't get out that much, do they? Let's be honest. Because it's the smog and everything out there. <laughs> They've got to play an indoor sport, haven't they? It was invented, the, the billiards was invented in, in India by a, f- a fella called Neville Chamberlain. But the, the thing that they used to have the balls, they used to explode if they hit each other too hard because <laughs> the material they made out. But it's obviously a game made in the colonial uh, India to, you know, so you could play it in the heat. You know, so it's a recreational game. But they always it's wear suits s- when they play. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a sport. I know people say that you, it can't be a sport if you're wearing a suit. But... I, I've ran for the bus before <laughs> in work here. Like, I don't think you running for the bus is a sport, though, Ian. I think I'm going to be honest. Look, if I'm listening to the theme of Chariots of Fire and running I, for the bus... Now nah, you're grasping it. <laughs> so, here we go. Right, so, this is just one of the most remarkable moments in sport for me because, first off, what what makes a sport? Is it endurance? You've got to have that for snooker. The final frame. You've got endurance f- to watch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. The final, uh, the so, finals so, is played over two days. Thir- the best of 35 frames. What's a frame? So a, fr- <laughs> <laughs> so a frame. Let's set this back a little yeah. bit. <laughs> so Does, I'm sure, like, I've got to be honest, right? Many listeners like, will be listening to this thinking, this isn't a real, you know, like we sort of look at things like in a humorous way as well on this podcast, right? Okay. This is this is a very dry sport, isn't it? You know what I mean? In terms of perspiration as well. <laughs> right. In terms of perspiration. Well, maybe it's not once we get into the final. So one. a frame, anyway. Go back to the question of a frame. Yeah, so a frame is a bit like, you know, in tennis where you play a game, set, match. Well, in snooker, you have a frame and you which is just one game of snooker. And then once all the balls have disappeared down the pockets, they have pockets, not not shoplifters. Yeah. <laughs> but once all the balls disappear down the pockets, then and the player is out of reach in terms of points, scores more than his opponents, then they call the end of the frame. Okay. And they win one frame. And then they play the best of 35 frames. Now, the beauty right, about... Right, so I've got a frame of reference now. I've <laughs> got a frame of reference. Yeah. In fact... Well, well, hang on, hang on, right. So the thing is, I know from my basic knowledge of snooker, in other words, putting my pint on a snooker table while someone plays it, right? That yeah, you each, shouldn't do that. That's each, bad etiquette. No, that's bad etiquette. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's obvious? Way? I know what I did. I have played a game of snooker. You'll be surprised to know, right? And... Uh, I remember every time I picked up my cue, I hit the light above the table. Because <laughs> the light's pretty low, in it, on a, t- on a, on a snooker Yeah, table. the lights are low. and uh, The lights are low. The lights are, yeah. <laughs> the lights are low. And you've also got cushions in snooker as well, which aren't yeah. something you sit on, but a very geometric uh, thing. But all the balls have got points, haven't they? 
So we're not going to go through all the every obviously because I know snooker's dry, but we're not going to go through every point of the balls. But each ball is a certain amount of points. Basically, they? you've got fifteen red balls worth one point, and then you've got color balls which are worth from two, three, four, five, all the way up to seven. Oh, okay, which, dead uh, easy, really, isn't it? And basically, you have to pot that you pot the reds. You pot a red ball, you have to pot a coloured ball. Then a red ball, then a coloured oh, ball, okay. then a red ball. And you pot them until all the reds go down. Then you have to pot the coloured balls in sequence from the lowest score, which is the yellow, all the way to the highest score, which is the black, which is worth seven. Right. Okay, listeners, if you've got that now, right, if you haven't, just rewind it a little bit, right? Or whatever you've <laughs> got. Just look on Wikipedia or and something. Just, and just, <laughs> just go just, on. Just listen to it again. Educate yourself. Now, to get to the final, you've had to play two weeks of snooker in the run-up. So it's like a snooker open. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so you basically you play, Is that it's knockout. Is that many, that, many, that many snooker <laughs> players? It's knockout, and basically what happens oh. is that the, the early games are only, out, yeah. <laughs> the early games are only like best of 11 frames, and then as you get further in the tournament, they they ramp it up so it's, you know... More interesting, yeah. Yeah, best of 19, <laughs> and it goes... And then it goes best of 35. Now, because the final's best of 35, they play it over four sessions over two days. Now, this is epic. People talk about sports. You know, you need endurance. Well, definitely stamina, definitely concentration, gamesmanship. You need to be able to uh, have physical endurance, you know, That's just the audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all of those things right, so make a perfect So once they play the two weeks, play the two weeks, so I'm thinking this is every year. Is it every year? Yeah, this is every year. They play it they still play at Sheffield in Jeez. the Crucible Theatre. <laughs> every year. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, actually right. they play more snooker tournaments now than they did back then because it's such a uh, so many um Chinese players yeah. are playing. And a lot more prize money now in China than what there is actually in the UK. Because at this point in 1985, most of the players were English. And then you had some Irish, Welsh, Scottish players, Northern Irish players. And then beyond that, you only had a handful of Australians, a handful of Canadians. And the Americans, I think there was one American, but they didn't really play because they were too into pool and they can't concentrate. (laughs) 1985, though, as well. If you watch it on the TV, most people have a black and white TV still, will they? So, <laughs> so there is a very famous. Uh, <laughs> have you watched there's that? A, there's a very famous moment with uh, the the commentator uh, Ted Lowe, who is very famous in the UK because this is the days before sound boxes and you know soundproofing. So he'd be literally at the side of the table, kind of thing. You like know, me not, with me pint. Yeah, not not too far from the table, but he would have to talk got the name whispering ted low now one of his things he said he said for the benefits of those watching at home with a black and white television the red balls next to the brown you know <laughs> <laughs> now that's not very helpful no he retired after the uh 1996 world championship i said to me dad oh it's a shame ted low is retired my dad said he wanted to retire years ago but nobody could hear him <laughs> so the, what i want to talk about is this is this World Championship final. Now, this World Championship final took place between a man from Northern Ireland. He's 36 years old. His name is Dennis Taylor. I know Dennis Taylor. What's he famous for, Dennis Taylor? His glasses. His glasses, his specs. Because the thing is with Dennis Taylor, didn't he? He must have got those glasses, uh, probably at Specsavers, right? But he had them. <laughs> he specsavers have... wouldn't have existed in 1985. I don't know. I don't know where he got them from. But anyway, 
they, they must cost him a fortune because they were like obviously designed because he had a higher top on them, didn't he? So when he looks across the table, then he could see through his glasses. Is that right? Yeah. So they were custom made. So uh, when when you're playing snooker, you're basically you're told to basically have your chin on the cue. So you're bending over the table and putting the cue kind of almost on your chin. See, this is where I've been going wrong. Now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you're looking across the table at the level of the table. And so if you wear normal specs, well, you're going to be looking at the frame, pardon the pun. So you need more glass up the top. So we had like almost like upside down glasses and they were curved and they were also coated with a special chemical to uh, stop the glare as well. See, I went to Specsavers and they upselled all this stuff to me. <laughs> I don't even play snooker. That's they should put snooker tables in every branch of Specsavers <laughs> to sh- to market these because anti glare and all that you need it. Don't yeah. you need it? Well, his glasses became uh, an icon, really. Uh, an Dennis, icon. <laughs> Dennis Taylor's specs, but he can you not wear contacts. <clears throat> no. Oh, it was contacts not around uh, Contacts then. weren't really a thing then. Oh, laser yeah. eye. They'd burn your eyes out there. Yeah. Out then, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Lasers were only used like a Batman and stuff. James, <laughs> like James, James Bond, Bond movies. <laughs> <laughs> James Bond strikes me as a guy who plays snooker. <laughs> he's he's, he's boring enough, on, isn't he? Yeah. He's got the suit on. Yeah. Chalk in the top pocket. Yeah. <laughs> so... So he's uh, Dennis Taylor. He's thirty six now. Dennis Taylor. He's he's been a finalist in the World Championship, but in in nineteen seventy nine. So it's all in six years ago. Now the other little bit of spice in this really for Dennis Taylor is is is, is misfortune really because his um, his mother had watched him lose that final in nineteen seventy nine, and he's got into the final, but his mother passed away nine months earlier. Just before the, you She's know, still before this final. To be fair, well, we'll get on to that. But <laughs> the, the lights go dim. The thing is with a snooker audience is that you can't tell whether the audience are dead or dying. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's most of them are <laughs> painted on. But Steve Davis here is a man, for ginger hair, very rakish kinds of gaunt look figure. But he's a machine. He's known as Steve Interesting Davis, which is a sarcastic comment with how boring he is. Not only how boring he interviews, but how boring he plays. This style of play in an era full of people like um, Warbeneck and Alex the Hurricane Higgins and later Jimmy the Whirlwind White, who are playing like banana shots and mavericks and playing uh, jump, making the ball jump and all this. I'm not getting into a banana Steve shot. Steve... <laughs> not in a dark snooker hole. What but I was going <laughs> to say, though, is, like, and what I'm surprised is already in is, because as I said, I've got no interest in snooker. And um, anyway. I'm working uh, on it. But the <laughs> thing is, right, is that I do know those two snooker players, which surprises me straight away. Like, That's I just true, know yeah. them. Like, I do know uh, a few of those you named. A couple of them I didn't know. But a few, <laughs> most of them I did know, which surprises me. Well, that's the thing is that this this final I was going to talk about lifted snooker to a level beyond sport. It's inc- the impact of this final alone set the sport up for decades to come, and it, it it's so incredible. Now, Steve Davis was world number one unchallenged. He was absolute machine. He's won, I think, three out of the last four finals in the lead up to this final. He's world number one, blitzing it. 
he, he just he's killing everybody like absolutely brilliant and knowing Steve Davis he would have shown that emotion all over his face right? <laughs> over his gaunt little face he but, did look like he didn't get out much, didn't he? You know what I mean? He was very pale, wasn't he? Uh, he was he a was, pale man. Yeah, there was no um, no doubt that he was from the British Isles. Like, looking at him, he was almost see-through. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd been in dark snooker halls for, since he was about seven. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And he, uh, he actually had a, a... He played snooker so often, and because he reached him with his left hand... He he developed a, a twist in his spine, so he could r- touch the ceiling with his left hand, but couldn't with his right hand. Wow! Which so uh, when you think he started playing seriously when he was about fourteen, and he's spent so much time on a table that he's just ruined himself. But he's world champion. So with you are getting me interested. You keep using the word interested, and it's getting <laughs> interesting. Well, with any sport, obviously the final is where all the focus is and all, also the build up, the lead up, the excitement. Do and you do a bit of stretching? You know when they come out for the finals? Do the <laughs> no. snooker players do any stretching or? Most definitely not. So obviously people who don't watch any of the tournament, they but they do watch the final because the finals, you know, the exciting thing. Now if anyone would have tuned in to that final, first session of the final, but obviously played over four sessions, the the, the first session, it's it's nine, they play nine frames every session now they play nine frames what happens world number one steve davis 27 years old beats De- dennis taylor 36 years old eight zero eight zero wow i was even afraid <laughs> well go on tell me and this is critical to the story which goes on is steve davis has wiped the floor with his opponents here this is the first session of the final and he's wiped the floor with him but dennis taylor wins the very last frame. Aww. So they go in after the first session, Taylor's 8-1 down. Now, had he gone into that session... To be fair, hang on, you say it like that's like a big... Ba- it's still 8-1. You've been murdered. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if this was the other fellow that you were talking about, Higgins, he's drunk by now. He's, you know what I mean? He's been through nine of them. He's, he's over. But, yeah, he's finishing it. Like, how old is a snooker player before they retire? Do they... Well, Because well, th- he'd be feeling it, wouldn't he, after nine frames getting whipped? Well, the key thing is, is obviously snooker's largely dependent upon uh, you, your skill to keep a steady hand and also to uh, be able to see uh, accurately. So because the margins are so small and depth perception is very important. So I think it was Warbeneck who actually, when they banned drinking at the side of the table, he, he got a, a letter from his doctor to... to uh, submit to the the snooker authority to say I need to drink because I I shake if I don't oh. and I can't play anymore so I actually need alcohol to perform. Did that letter get through? <laughs> <laughs> no, probably did, just add like five marks. A good, so what? I might get it. I might get that doctor for me. <laughs> so I bet you there's a there's a queue for him. Uh, so he's a uh, so basically. Um, he's 8-1 down and a lot of people at that point Steve Davis again he's won the last three uh, yeah, last f- three or four last gra- you know he's world number one put the queue on the rack exactly <laughs> put the queue in the rack go home right yeah. but Dennis Taylor 
Can't, can't go. Can't go home. He's, he's contractually obliged. <laughs> so he comes out after the second second session they play. The second session finishes up nine seven. So one of the most interesting things about this World Snooker Championship and this final is the TV audience. Paint the picture in terms of the UK 1985. You've actually only got BBC One, ITV, and BBC Two. And actually, the re- in 1984, I think, Channel Four... I was going to say Channel Four was ...came around, on board. Yeah, so that was a very new channel for the youngsters. And um, so you had basically four choices, and the population of the UK was about just under 50 million, I think, at the time. Okay, so... This is one of the most remarkable things about this final is that the last session on the second day, it's so even that Dennis Taylor and Steve Davis are going toe-to-toe. They're winning frame, 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 and they're going on. Now, it builds up. It's 17 frames to 17. It's wow. the best of 35. So whoever wins the last frame becomes world champion. And so the lights go down. The players shake hands. One of these lucky chaps will pick up the title, the trophy, and £60,000. You wouldn't have seen that coming, would you? Like the f- after the first frame. <laughs> after the first session, yeah. Ruined. But the interesting thing about this is that because the, the last session had gone on so long. What normally happened at the time was that when it got to midnight, they used to actually just turn a TV channel off. They put the test screen up. They played the national anthem and put the test screen up. And so hang on, they're still playing snooker at midnight? They're still playing. At midnight? At midnight, yeah. On, on a Sunday, it's on a school night. On a school night, yeah. So as people word gets around more and more people start tuning in because it's so close. This frame now been going 55 minutes, the longest frame of the final. In another three minutes, it'll be the longest frame of the whole championship. Obviously, the pubs then, on a Sunday, were the shut at 10 o'clock. So people come home from the pub, they switch the TV on. It's so close. This game is still going on. Davis, Taylor. Now the tension in the, in the Crucible Theatre. I have never known an atmosphere like this. John Williams, our referee, trying to keep the crowd in order. It's a horseshoe, the theatre. So the stage is kind of... The, the audience are, are sat around the table. It's quite, in, <laughs> it's quite an intimidating and close encounter. And they've obviously put in a shift themselves, the audience. Oh, yeah, and they now. want the outcome. No. This is really unbelievable. And so the tension is amazing, but 18 and a half million people stayed up till after midnight to watch the end of this game. Now, let's put that into context. 18.5 million people in a country of only 50 million people. That's a lot of people. It's a lot, it's a lot of people, now, well, especially watching snooker. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Here, let's put this into context. How many people in Britain watched the World Cup final between Germany and Argentina? Not even 15 million. Yeah, because England fans are giving up by then. <laughs> so, <laughs> they, they, they what, the white was on the wall. So yeah, well, that, actually, no, that actually, is very impressive, though. That it, I, I, I agree that it must. But the thing is, it's not because it's a snooker, is it? It's not because they've been kicked out of a pub. It's because this game's close in it that they want to come home and watch it. Oh, it's like such compelling television. Now you saying like, what is snooker even broadcast nowadays? And do you just think that it's so compelling? Compelling's a strong word, but I know what you're saying. Right? <laughs> but right, more people stayed up after midnight to watch the end, this final frame of snooker, than watch Princess Diana's funeral. Right. <laughs> Then watch a dead person get carried down on his church. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Both compelling events. But compelling, compelling. Elton John sang it. Oh, if Elton John would have chimed into yeah. the 1985 World Snooker Championship. <laughs> I'm sure there's a few people in that crowd getting their pocket I'm watches out. still standing. <laughs> you had a Kiki D out at that point as well, wasn't he? <laughs> I suppose for the Australian crowd, I've I've got to admit, I, although it was eighteen and a half million people stayed up to watch this, and that's very impressive. Sadly, more people did watch Scott and Charlene get married in Neighbours. <laughs> so, so, you know, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, swings <laughs> definitely swings and roundabouts. So, um, this final game comes down to the black ball. Now, this is known. As the black ball fight. The black ball fight. The black ball fight. To the death. The final frame. The final black. <laughs> that really quite incredible as Dennis Taylor goes to the World Trophy and prays to it. Remember, these are two men in dicky bows <laughs> with pieces of wood in their hand. Oh, hang yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been exciting. 80 million people might have joined <laughs> in for that. So it goes down to the black ball. Now, what's happened here is that they've scored almost the same amount of points, and the only way they can get them over the line points-wise is by potting the black. So black ball winner. Whoever pots the black, they win. But there's also a jeopardy in snooker because if you pot the white or you foul, your opponent gets seven points. Like punch him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happens if you punch. I don't know. You just get disqualified. You get disqualified. Probably. So it comes down to the black ball. Right. The tension is incredible. I'm there. It's after midnight. I'm there. People are so invested. In this game. I'm there, that's why I'm whispering. And uh, all they've got to do is they've just got to pot the black ball. Now, the black ball is situated on the black spot, which is very close. Yeah, let's not do geography of this. <laughs> well, a snooker table... You drawing this out on a podcast is not going to work. <laughs> a snooker table, as you know, is 72 square feet. Oh, God, he is going to draw it out. Listen. Now, there's only two... There's six holes, pockets. <laughs> Every hole's a goal. And two men with wood in their hand. <laughs> <laughs> but the the cue ball has got to be placed in the D, which is up the top end of the table. Now you take your first shot. You shot. You're not going to pot the ball here. And the the trick is here. You don't want to leave it open for your opponents. But what happens is that they play one, 
two, three, four shots. Steve Davis, the ball, the black ball is over the pocket. The defending world champion, Steve Davis, looks hard at that black. And Davis, he puts his chin on the cue. He lines up the shot. He misses. He cuts it too thick. It hits. It doesn't even hit the jaw of the pocket. He's hit it so thick. And it bounces around. And the white bounces around too. And the ball set. I have never known an atmosphere like this. John Williams, our referee, trying to keep the crowd in order. And there it is. Dennis Taylor gets on the table and all he has to do is pot the black and the black is over the pocket and it's an easy shot to make but it is the world championship and they've been playing for two days. He gets down, he looks through the top of his spectacles and he makes the shot. He's done it! Dennis Taylor for the first time becomes Embassy World Snooker Champion 1985. He pots the black ball and he has this spontaneous reaction where he just grabs the cue with both hands and lifts it above his head and, and pumping his arms. Did he hit the light? Or? <laughs> no. <laughs> he took a step back, I think. And the crowd... And, and this seems really strange to say because snooker crowds are very reserved. But you can feel in the noise of the crowd, the release, the relief, the tension, all of that is released in one just magnificent moment. The whole place here at the Crucible erupting for this very popular Irishman. He is so happy. Two major titles this season and also the Irish Championship. A fabulous picture of a very happy and popular man. Steve Davis has gone back into his seat and he's... He's just coughing. <laughs> he just... He looks so gaunt, but he's... Throughout this final frame, Davis had kind of been looking up to the skies, like up and up. It's not out, it's indoors. He'd be looking up at the ceiling, kind of biting his lip and a, a, with a wry smile as like, I can't believe this is happening to me. He's gone from being, you know, eight frames ahead in the first session yeah. to this black ball fight where he's just missed an easy pot. And Taylor is seeming, it's like he's taking an age to take this shot. I was thinking, is he looking up, we see Dennis Taylor's mum. <laughs> <laughs> Could <he hear> <laughs> People are home watching on BBC Two, which, by the way, be, that is still a record on BBC Two, despite the population increase. No one has stayed up to watch in that numbers a BBC Two program for good reason. <laughs> Since, but I think the, the crowd as well think it's quite past twelve. We've got to get it <laughs> But there is such a beautiful, beautiful moment in all of this, and it's the moment where Dennis Taylor. He's trying to process what's happened, and you can see. But the beauty of the BBC is they've picked this beautiful camera angle, and you can see the World Championship trophy, 
which is a beautiful silver trophy. But on top of that silver trophy is a man holding a snooker cue. You guys know all your golf, golf, <laughs> golf clubs. <laughs> just look at the trophy go. She has the wrong trophy. He's just swinging a golf club. Oh, we run out of money there, so <laughs> it's the only one we had left in the shop. <laughs> so there's this beautiful camera angle. And you can see the trophy in the foreground. And Dennis Taylor, who is in such a ponderous moment, he's kind of holding on to both of his arms and sort of comforting himself in this moment of processing the most magnificent game he's ever taken place in, that he's won. And the fact that his mother's died not too long ago, the fact that he lost the final in 1979, and the fact that he's 35, and he knows that this chance... He got younger? Was never oh, 36. <laughs> <laughs> he just so, put years on to him. Just put years on him. <laughs> so, so the fact that he's 35... 36! The fact that he's 36, and this is his, probably his last chance of the big time, and the moment the camera goes from focusing on the trophy to focusing on Dennis Taylor, and in that moment, he just starts to walk towards the trophy, and he doesn't pick it up. He just puts his arms behind his back and delivers the most gentle kiss on the top of the trophy, and it's such a beautiful moment of emotion and joy and it's almost like in the cacophony of noise and the the in, you know the intensity environment of that crucible theater it was like he was alone in that moment with the trophy and perhaps with his mother who remember was still up in the roof or <laughs> <laughs> were ashes in the trophy <laughs> So that is the reason I just think this is one of the most... I speak to a lot of of Australians about this moment in world sport and they've never heard of it. No. And I think it's such a a travesty and the poorer for it that this moment of such wonderful... Like, it defined a generation and it defined a sport for years to come that this sport had been lifted from the smoky back rooms in outer suburbs to the international stage where 18.5 million people were willing to stay up till after midnight to watch it. International's a bit strong, Sheffield. However, <laughs> I, I, I've not heard this story before, right? I have never didn't know about this, right? And I must admit, you're passionate about it. And it has, it has sort of keep me gripped-ish. <laughs> Well, the story of these these two guys battling out, and I say one to one battles are always interesting. I think because like the you know like team battles are really interesting, obviously, but one to one battles I think are just that intensity is really there when you're just battling one person and you just see it like the tennis and all that sort of. Well, stuff. Well, the so. difference with like an individual sports team is that there's only one person to take the the accolades when they come, but also only one person to blame. And whereas as a team sport, you can diffuse that. You're the man who's got to make that pot. You're the man who's got to make the shot. You're, you know, it's so intense. So Taylor's obviously over the moon. So I was, I was vampire 
Steve doing? No, it's actually he's not the vampire because Ray the vampire reading. <laughs> oh, it's another Dennis Lane. Yeah. Who was? Did they start going with nicknames later on? Oh, oh, no, they had nicknames. Be, but he had a uh, he had teeth that slightly protruded out as well. So oh. he, he really played on it. He was actually world champion. Uh, he was one of the greatest players who's ever lived. Ray Reardon. I met him in a Butlins holiday camp once. Had me yeah. picture taken with him. Yeah, lovely man. Yeah, Welsh guy. Anyway, off track again. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> So, <laughs> amid all of this... Does anyone care what Steve's like? He's the loser, isn't he? Just forget about him. Well, he he looks even more gaunt and see he almost goes see-through, Steve yeah. Davis. Because when you think about it, the endurance that these players mentally and physically... Because to be up on your feet for that length of time... Well, it's not that. It's competitive, isn't it? Like, you know, no one wants to lose, do they? Right? Mm. So the thing is, when you're in that sport, you probably, as you said, he had one arm bigger than the other, which means that something's he's been training a lot. <laughs> or something else. But anyway, we'll go with he's been training, right? But he's put a lot of effort in. And like even though he's won three, you said... He wants to win four, doesn't he? And he wants to win five, he wants to win six, he wants to win... You know what I mean? You're just that sort of person. Well, I think, uh, to put things in context, Steve Davis was such a juggernaut in terms of making money, being the star of the game. He'd already, I think, released two books. The fact um, that he was a star of the game worries me. But what? Really? <laughs> but what, one of the books, incidentally, was called Frame and Fortune. <laughs> How good is that? He's thought about it. Yeah. and uh, So he, he he must have been gutted. Yeah, but he was like, he was the face of lots of advertising campaigns and, and all the rest. He was a money-making machine. So not only, and this is probably where the team comes in because not only had he let himself down, but there's a lot of money riding on the championships as well. He still got £35,000 for losing at the final. Thirty-five Is that it? Well, when you think about it, the average wage in 1985 was around seven to eight thousand pounds. Oh, so yeah, he's done yeah. all right. He's done all right then. Yeah, you know, and it's today Thatch- you'd be like, <laughs> yeah, you what, mate? Well, it was Thatcher's Britain as well, so it was <laughs> <laughs> you know. she probably took it off him at the door. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, the nice uh, thing about this story is that Steve Davis and Dennis Taylor are two of the most prominent BBC snooker commentators now and they get on famously so they've had time turning steve davis on to commentate for me <laughs> well they've had time to digest what has happened after 33 years or whatever it's been <laughs> so they get on very well and uh i just think there's so many nice parts of this story i could have talked about it for, for literally hours i it's... think you've talked long enough <laughs> I think we've done enough on this. Well, actually, the final frame is still the record for the longest frame at the final stage in history still, even after 33 years. So credit to both of the players for for going at it for so long. But the audience, the BBC2 audience, and... I, I and just, you? I just almost, credit to you? Well, I just wish that... I just wish Snooker was back on. I would just wish it was still like as prominent as it was. And Australia, they've Neil Robertson recently won the World Snooker Championship, but it got next to no coverage in Australia. Because they're outdoors, mate. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we'll leave it there. I, I know, but Snooker was invented outdoors in colonial India. In, I, I it's love, perfect for the hot climate. I'm going to jump in here and say, I, I love your enthusiasm and your one-man campaign. 
But, uh, you know, I'm sure you'll get a few who uh, back you on this through the pod. But, uh, yeah, what, what a great story. What a great, it sounds like, you know, it was a great sporting achievement. It was a great game. But uh, you're not selling it to the masses. <laughs> Can I just uh, say a big thank you? Not to you, but to the Wheel of Sport. Thanks, Wheel. You've delivered a cracker. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's spin the Wheel of Sport next time. Let's yeah. see what it throws off. So see you next time. And uh, it may be snooker. Uh, I hope it's not. Uh, but it, it probably won't be. Uh, it probably be something completely different. That's what's great about the Wheel of Sport. There's always something different on the agenda. So yeah, and if you if you did already know that story, like I want you to get in touch with me just so I can like link up with someone else in Australia who actually cares. Snooker friends. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Wheel of Sport on the Turnstile Network. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Ian. See you next time for when we spin the wheel of sports. <laughs>